Greetings, family. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm going to read a few scriptures, then I'm going to go into an area of uh, exercise that we all need to think about and act on. My first scripture for today is Psalms 32.1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Revelations 12 10 and 11, and I heard a loud voice <clears throat> saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. John 8, 10, 11, and when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jeremiah 31, 34, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Hebrews 10.22 Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Second Chronicles 30 verse 9 for if you turn again unto the Lord, you brethren and you children, shall find compassion before them and that lead them captive, so that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. Amen. And would you believe the topic for today is uh, confessing our sins of overeating and laziness and and not doing the right thing, like walking and, uh, and, and stopping uh, things that hurt us. For the temple of God belongs to our God in the heavens. So we're going to pray and then go through some ideas of what we can do to exercise like walk or rebound or uh, sit-ups, jumping jacks, push-ups. Let's go ahead and ask God to forgive us for all the donuts we eaten and we had no control. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for all the junk that we eaten, Lord, and all the uh, all the sugars, all the refined carbs, Lord God, the pastas and the breads and and the processed meats that we know are not good, but we Lord, we relax cuz we're with company, Lord. Lord, why we just repent, forgive me. Lord, and cleanse us, Lord, that we may have a, a righteousness again to, to honor the temple of God and to instruct it and work it and build it and exercise it. We pray, Lord, that you forgive us for all the bread that we've eaten and all the wrong calories we have eaten. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a prayer for that. I bet you didn't expect any of that. Amen. The idea is, uh, right now, we're going to talk about the science of rebounding. Uh, rebounding is the small trampoline, doing the small trampoline up and down. 
Apparently, we uh, exercise uh, our thrillions of cells going up and down. We get, uh, and the exercise gives us more energy, helps us to think better, help us to be happier, uh, energetic. So uh, I encourage you to believe God for a rebounder if you don't have any. I started believing God, and my belief got me one with three legs. Somebody threw one out three legs, so I figured I'll br- I brought it home, and I put something underneath the fourth leg. And then after a while, I got tired of it. I wasn't much interested. I threw it out. Then I got another one, too, and that, too, had something wrong with it, so I threw it out, gave it away. And uh, I was just helping someone clear away. They were moving, and they wanted me to get rid of some chairs for them, and I went to that neighborhood and I found a very sturdy rebounder that someone had thrown out. Really, really good heavy duty that I really liked. And that's what I use today. Um, I made a commitment with another person to rebound every day. I missed last Saturday and here I am Saturday again and I'm in the verge of trying to encourage myself to get out there and finish my goal of hitting it every day. At least for the 30 days 30 days for three minutes should be sufficient enough to get a habit started. You know, if you can't do the 15 minutes, which your muscles has to get used to it, your front toes and your legs, you're going to be sore if you haven't done it for a while. But it is an everlasting and an easy exercise. I usually have to take a walk to get my motor started, and I start counting my toes and thanking God for every 10 years of my life and the things I learned and go over what I learned, what I valued and uh, and thank God and try not to regret anything. Just thank them for life just the way it is. And then take deep uh, breathing exercise as I walk. Breathe deep. I was hearing a gentleman that you go four by four by four like a boxer. You breathe in four seconds. You hold it for four seconds. You blow it out for four seconds, you hold it for four seconds, and then you breathe in for four seconds. Something in that nature as you walk so that you can also exercise your, your lung capacity and, and have plenty of oxygen as we walk out there and force oxygen into our system. Amen. A couple of that with movement. When I was in Vietnam, I was smuggling Bibles and into Vietnam, uh, we went to China Beach. And at dark, in the, when the sun's coming up, there's about 100,000 people out in the beach exercising and moving and moving their bodies and stretching. And, and it's good for the soul. And what an what a incredible memory that is. So over here is movement. Just get movement, push-ups, sit-ups, jumping jacks. Um, do the uh, skipping rope. Anything that you were you used to love as a kid, do it, you know. Uh, chain breakers, you know, um, squats, lunges, just uh, whatever you feel like doing. But just get out there and stretch and move in the morning. And then after a while, it will be the, the energy for the day will be sufficient. For right now, I want to shift gears and bring in a medical doctor that will explain more on the benefits of rebounding. Remember, rebounding cleanses the cells, restores the, the all the organs that makes it jogs them, makes them work properly. But let let's a doctor explain to you. Here's Doctor Berg 
on a rebounding exercise seven minute clip. Uh, please listen up. Here we go. I wanted to mention the real cool benefit of rebound exercise. NASA has done quite a bit of research on rebounding and uh, I'm going to put some links down below, but it's actually quite fascinating that they're doing research on rebounding because what they found is when you're in space without gravity, you start losing your bone tissue and your muscle tissue. So they're trying to come up with ways to counter that. But rebounding exercise is jumping on a trampoline. Now, if you're going to do rebounding and you're a little bit older, I would always recommend doing it with some type of support structure so you can hold yourself because you don't want to be jumping on this trampoline and then jumping off and you know falling or injuring yourself. But there's quite a few benefits to rebounding exercise. It's convenient, it improves your mobility, your posture, your balance, your gait, it improves the fear of falling, it can even reduce your risk of osteoporosis. But I think the biggest benefit has to do with this right here, stimulating the lymphatic system. So let me make this very, very simple. What is the lymphatic system? You have the blood vessels throughout the body, the vascular system, right? And they go from large vessels to smaller vessels to eventually to tiny little blood vessels called capillaries in the tissue. Now in that same tissue next to the capillaries, you have the beginning of the lymphatic system. Some of the plasma in the blood leaks out into the tissues and it goes right into the lymphatic system. So the fluid in the lymphatic system called lymph is made up of plasma and several other things which I don't want to get into at this point. And then the lymph system travels to the body and then eventually dumps back into the vascular system, the venous part of the vascular system. So it's this whole continual loop. So one function of your lymphatic system is to act as a backup for your vascular system. So if there's too much blood, for example, the lymph system can handle that overflow. But the thing you need to know about your lymphatic system is it doesn't have a pump like the vascular system does. So it needs movement or else there's no pump. The lymph becomes stagnant or congested. The two big purposes of the lymphatic system are number one, to support the immune system because you have all these lymph nodes and you have all these T cells and B cells that help to capture and consolidate pathogens that have invaded the system and deal with them, kill them, and dis disregard them, as well as to help recycle old red blood cells and damaged red blood cells and recycle them. That's what the spleen does. The spleen is a very large lymphatic node. And the other function of the lymphatic system that a lot of people are unaware of is that it helps to transport fat through the body. So when you eat dietary fat and it goes into your intestines, it goes directly into the lymphatic system, not into your blood vessels. Fat and water do not mix. So the body has to package this fat in a way that can be transported easily through the system. So one way that it packages the fat is through something called a chylomicron. The word chylo means juice and microns mean small particles. So a chylomicron is very simply 
the grocery bag that carries the fat to the various parts of the body for both energy and as a precursor or material to build hormones, especially adrenal hormones to counter stress. All of the hormones in the gonads, the testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, are made from fat and cholesterol. The cellular membranes need fat. The nervous system, the brain needs fat. Bile comes from cholesterol. Vitamin D comes from cholesterol. So in other words, this fat is very, very important to supporting body tissue as well as giving you energy. And one very common thing that I hear over and over and over when people start doing rebounding exercise is their energy goes straight up in a vertical. And I think it has a lot to do with the fat being more activated in the lymphatic system. So the biggest benefit of rebounding exercise has to do with supporting the immune system and to help the transportation of fat through the chylomicrons. Now, as a little side note, since we're on the topic of chylomicrons, I want to just help you understand this a little bit better. When you get a cholesterol test, you usually get your total cholesterol, you get LDL, HDL, right? Now, let's take a look at this a little bit deeper. When someone talks about LDL or HDL, they're not talking about cholesterol. They're talking about the carrier bag, okay? The, the grocery bag that's carrying the fat through the body. And so we have different uh, densities of these bags, different sizes and different densities. So when we're going from a chylomicron, that's the largest bag. It's also called the ultra-low density lipoprotein. And they're calling it ultra-low because it's basically filled with fat and very little protein. And if we look at the relationship between this all the way down to HDL, you can see this is a lot smaller. This is the most dense. This is the least dense, okay? So this has the least amount of fat, the most protein. This has the most amount of fat and the least amount of protein. So when we go this direction, more dense, more protein, less lipids. Why? Because these are carrier bags that are going to be dumping off fat into various parts of your body. So we go from a colomicron, which is an ultra-low dense lipoprotein, to a VLDL. That means very low density lipoprotein. And then there's a little extra step right here called intermediate density lipoprotein. And eventually we get to the low density lipoprotein. And most people think this is the bad one, but there's actually two types of LDL. There's one that's more pathogenic and one that is non-pathogenic. If you're interested, I put some links down below about that. And then we get the HDL, which is a carrier bag that takes the cholesterol from the body tissue and brings it back into the liver. These other ones are going to the liver. Anyway, sorry I got sidetracked there for a minute. The main thing you need to know about rebounding is it's really good for your lymphatic system, especially if you have lymphedema. All right, thanks for watching. Before you... All right, all right. Thank you very much. It was a little extensive, more than I thought I hadn't seen it. But the fact is, the uh, that's where the energy comes from. It transforms fat, locked-in fat, and it, it transports it. Let's go ahead and listen to it one more time. Uh, right now, let's go ahead and listen to uh, Barbara O'Neill.
from way down under from Australia. This is a 37-minute clip, but I think it'll be worth it. You can come back and listen to it. It's proper, and once we get the exercise, the benefit of uh, moving stored fat. And, and then exercising those, those our hearts, our liver, pancreas, uh, kidneys, everything, so it can get rid of uh, old toxins, get rid of dead tissue, and even take care of viruses and any cancer cells and burn it up, put it in, it'll, kind of like a transportation system to put things back in the system at a very easy way. We start out with five minutes a day on a trampoline. If you don't have a trampoline right now, just start bouncing up and down or walk. When you walk, uh, strike your heels, excuse me, strike your the, the palm of your feet, like on your tippy toes when you stay up from your heels. And then this way you will get the feel of bouncing and that's the way we should run. That's what Barbara O'Neill talks about. Here she goes, thank you. Introducing the first ever AT4 lineup. Get 0% Barbara O'Neill is a holistic doctor from uh, Seven Day Adventist Church. Uh, she is incredible. Here we go. Not yet. Not yet. Another thing, you may want to uh, think about cutting out breads, sugars, lattes, and uh, just repent and eat right. Ha ha ha. Uh-oh, a scripture came up. Therefore I say unto you, what sort of things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Mark eleven twenty-four. So Heavenly Father, we just ask you, Lord God, that we seat ourselves fit. We ask, Lord God, that we be astute and, and loyal to our bodies and the exercise program that you have instilled in us, Lord. Jesus walked all over the place. He was extremely in shape. And the Bible says that as Jesus is, so are we in this world. We thank you, Father God, for those benefits of, of the Holy Spirit and of giving you glory in our bodies. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. I kind of lost her wherever she's at. And now, let's see, let's see, a good clip right here. Oh man, there's all kinds of information on rebounding. <clears throat> there's all kinds of uh, exercise ideas and information. Here's another, looks like another uh, 12 minute, 12, 17 benefits of trampoline workout. Let's check this out. Hey guys, so I'm in lockdown in England for two weeks. Amazing me time, I'm alone in my brother's house, making a lot of videos. Wow, really, really very nice. Now one of the things that I uh, picked up actually for the first time in my life is trampoline jumping. You know, like I wanted to do some kind of exercise aside from my morning exercises, the five Tibetan rides. Um, 
So I've been doing for a week now 20 minutes of trampoline jumping every day. And uh, I feel muscles in my body that I haven't felt before and it feels amazing. So this is like my cardio slash uh, 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 weight, um, you know, like you, you, you train your body with it. And I Google a bit and you know, like this is what I do. I do the research and make a video about it so you can just lay back and watch the video, you know? Like, so I found this, this website and it's called Just Bounce. I will put the link in the description of this video. And it talks about 17 benefits of trampoline exercise, like 17. And this is gonna blow your mind. This is just amazing. A, a few things I, I knew already, you know, like, okay, it's a fun way of losing weight and keeping fit. Well, um, I don't get my heartbeat up very fast, you know, like, uh, because I, I think because I work out uh, a little, but regularly, like, every day. And after 20 minutes of, uh, of trampoline jumping, I have a heartbeat of 120, which is relatively high for me. Uh, and it's really fun, you know, you feel like a little child when you're trampoline jumping, so... Totally cool. That's benefit number one. Benefit number two, I knew this too, is it increases lymphatic flow in the body. Now, you know, like we have a, a cardiovascular system, the blood and the heart, and the blood is pumped around by the heart. You know, like, oh, oh, this is, this is sounding as a surprise for you, right? Not. Now, the blood dumps its waste in the lymphatic system. How do we train the lymphatic system? The lymphatic system doesn't have a heart, so how do we keep it flowing? Well, different ways. First, one of them is belly breathing. Belly breathing increases lymphatic flow. And the other is exercise. You know, and just bouncing, doing, 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 for 20 minutes is totally increasing the lymphatic flow. Okay, benefit number two. Benefit number three, it increases the detoxification and cleaning of the body. All right, yeah, I can buy that. Benefit form improves the functioning of the immune system. Let me read this to you. The lymphatic system is a vital part of the immune system. It is a defense mechanism against viruses, bacteria, diseases, and infections. I know you know that. The lymph contains the lymph contains a high number of certain type of white blood cells called lymphocytes, which are responsible for fighting infectious infections in the body. Rebounding causes the valves to the lymphatic system to open and close simultaneously, increasing lymph flow as much as 15 times. No! This boosts immunity, removes toxins, and helps slow down the aging process, which is, of course, what we all want. It helps to reduce cell life. That's funny. And, and, and personal. Personal story, not because of trampoline jumping, but because of the Tibetan rites or my morning exercises. 15 years ago, I had cellulite on the sides of my uh, bottom. Now, not anymore. In the last 15 years, my body became younger. And this is, you know, like my secret is the five Tibetan rites, which you can find videos of that on my channel. Helps to reduce cellulite. Okay, that was benefit number five. Benefit number six. Strengthens skeletal system and increases bone mass. Of course, you know, like, yes, I don't have to read like what's below it. That totally 
um, synchronizes with what I believe. Number seven, it increases oxygen circulation, leading to increased cell energy. Let me read that to you. There's a significant increase in bio, biochemical stimuli while rebounding. So rebounding is the, the bouncing, right? This means that bouncing on a trampoline is more beneficial to your body than running. It's because of this that the, Na the NASA and ASA now uses trampoline exercises to recondition astronauts after spacewalks to prevent muscle and bone degener degeneration. Cool. Yes. Benefit number eight. Increases mitochondrial production and cellular energy. Millions of people choose natron melatonin to help them get a good night's sleep instead of lying awake worrying about tomorrow. Like Carmen, her shift starts at 6 a.m. and Anthony, he has a massive... All right, are you getting the benefits? Extremely good benefits here. Here we go. Not yet. Thank you for hanging in there. I'm looking at clips at YouTube, as you know. And some of you are driving. Some of you are in the hospital. Some of you are at home working, doing things. or just So that makes it easy for us to catch up on some latest technology information. Bit of the same story. So I'm going to move to um, <clears throat> benefit number nine. Exercise the body without putting excess pressure on the feet and the legs. It feels like, a, you know, like compared to running, this is way less pressure on the feet and the legs. Um, when you're like overweight and you want to drop weight, you shouldn't run because that's often, you know, like too much tension on the knees and stuff like that. So go trampoline jumping. Improves balance and posture. Well, you know, like balance for sure, because, you know, if you're like, a little bit off, like in your head, while trampoline jumping, oh, oh, you lose your balance. So it improves your balance and your posture too, because you have to stand straight. I will make a video also of, uh, of, of the trampoline, uh, 20 minutes of trampoline exercise, which may be very boring if you have done of a trampoline at home, um, but that will be later. Then we have number 11, reduces body fat and increases muscle to fat ratio. Well, you know, like if you drop weight, that happens. Anyway, improves the cardiovascular system. Well, really, you know, because your heartbeat goes up. Helps to reduce and combat very very close veins. Sorry, I don't know that word, so let me read it to you. Rebounding is a natural way of permanently getting rid of very close veins. Frequent rebounding increases circulation of blood flow, which can greatly reduce the pressure that your veins have to endure and eliminate the inflammation and the pain that comes with varicose veins. Well, sorry, I don't know that, that word, so we'll Google, Google it later. Google's my professor. Maybe YouTube. Number uh, 14. Improves effects of other exercises. It has been proven that greater results are achieved by combining rebounding with other types of exercise like strength training and weight training. Well, I can imagine that, you know, like what I know from um, when I was a personal trainer is that we have three big muscle groups, you know, the chest, belly, lower back, legs. Now, what 
you know, but they don't tell you in the gym, if you're like train your biceps, train your triceps, stuff like that, is that where does the energy come from? It's all those little muscles in between. And I can really feel that, that you, you train like every muscle in your body. And if between the three big groups, the energy, the blood, the lymphatic system is flowing, you get more energy. Now, number 16, now we're going like, boom, to the sky. It helps in preventing and eliminating cancer. What? Really? Rebounding helps improve circulation of the lymphatic fluids, okay? Which helps to destroy cancerous cells in the bodies, in the body. As the fluid, fluid collects waste product, bacteria and damaged cells, it also collects damaged cancerous cells if you are present in the if they are present in the body and drains if it in the lymphatic vessels. Well, okay, yeah. So if you activate your lymphatic system, you help preventing and eliminate cancer. So something well, it's pretty intense, pretty cool. The last one, it reduces fatigue and menstrual discomfort in women. I've heard before. This is why I wanted to practice it and to see how it feels, you know, like for two weeks at least, and for sure I'm going to buy one for myself uh, in Amsterdam. But um, what I heard is that people that are depressed, if they are trampoline jumping 20 minutes a day, that their depression just goes out of the window. You know, and that kind of says it here, it reduces fatigue and mental discomfort in women. Rebounding detoxifies excess hormone and toxins, which is key to a healthy endocrine system. Okay, 17 benefits about trampoline jumping. And I, um, uh, I've used two trampolines. So one is after a cryotherapy, that's what they, what they say also at cryo, like after a cryo session, it's like a really cold room, right? That you should do some trampoline jumping and they have a bar. And then the one that I have here is just a small one without a bar. I've put two links in the description so you can check it out for yourself to Amazon. And um, personally, I would say like uh, the cheaper one, sometimes cheap is, is really better, you know, like, and I'm not per se talking about myself. Um, the one without the bar is cheaper and I would buy that one because then you train your balance much more. You know, if you're always holding on to the bar, you know, maybe if your balance is really off, you should buy that one with the bar, but otherwise buy the cheap one. Um, okay, this was my video about trampoline jumping. It's definitely belonging in the list workout smarter. Yeah, so my training, uh, it was called Body Zen, but that was you know like three years ago i made up that name it is getting a new name now that it's called optimize where body zen had three pillars exercise breathing mindset um, <clears throat> optimize has five pillars mindset nutrition exercise breathing and cold training now um this is you know the, the exercise part is how to work out smarter and this is definitely belonging there and you know like I hope I'm gonna do this the rest of my life and I will be even happier how cool is that anyway hope you like this uh, if you do please give it a thumbs up if you want to subscribe 
please do so. And if you want to be annoyed, every time I send out this video, hit that notification bell. See you next time. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you for coming on today. God bless you. I'm grateful to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm grateful to be an alcoholic. And in case you're wondering, because a lot of times new people say, like I did, okay, the guy says he's a grateful alcoholic because he doesn't mean he's, he means he's, he's grateful he got his driver's license back. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's grateful that, uh, Grateful he gets to sleep in the big bed, you know. I <laughs> got to keep his job. Uh, I really mean I'm literally grateful to be an alcoholic. I'm absolutely positive that my life today is better because I'm an alcoholic than if I hadn't been an alcoholic. And if you're new and that sounds stupid to you, I understand that. It sounded stupid to me. First time I heard somebody say, uh, I'm a grateful alcoholic, I thought, and a moron. You're a moron too. <laughs> an idiot. And that, it's, it's important to remember what it felt like to be new, because I'm sober 28 years, and, uh, you know, and it's easy to forget. Uh, and I was thinking, uh, welcome, Paula. Uh, I, sometimes I think when we have these countdowns, and we're all so excited about the new person, the fresh blood on the vine, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> You're the future of Alcoholics Anonymous, and if you're new, you're going, I'd rather not get up there in front of all these people if you don't mind. No, no, come on up, you have to do this. You know, we're going to give you a book. I don't care, I'll buy one. I, just, uh, leave, just leave me alone. I just want to sit here and fade into the furniture. And, and uh, so welcome, Paula. And what I, the one I identified with is the person with three days back in this corner, because he or she, I didn't see who it was, but had to go through all of that. Oh, no, no, I can't get up there. I'm, I'm brand new. Oh, my God, I'm just, I, 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 I can't. I, and then, you know, then your head says, you said you would do anything. Yeah, that's true. Okay, I, all right, all right, I'll go, I'll go up. And then all of a sudden, they say, no, it's not three days, it's two days. <laughs> then all of a sudden, it goes, so I can't do that. So wait a minute, what about me? <laughs> You know, and like I said, I'm, I'm 28 and a half years sober, and and, uh, and I still got that what about me going on, you know, it's, uh, uh, but I, uh, I'm very excited to be here for the th 36th anniversary of the Hilton Head Midwinter Conference, and, and uh, uh, I love your, uh, I love your, your, uh, your theme, you know, life will take on new meaning, life will take on new meaning. It's one of those things in the promises that we hear and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden it happens for us. That's what that means. That's what that means. Life will take on new meaning. And uh, so I'm, I'm very honored whenever I get asked to do this. My wife Carla and I, uh, for whatever reason, get asked to do this um, frequently. And, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's an honor that... Uh, that I, can, I can't express how grateful I am for. I didn't, I didn't even know that people were ever asked to come out of their home state to someplace and talk to AA uh, people. And I'm not, I know some people stand at podiums like this and, and they deliver a great message, and, but they don't like doing it. They hate to do it. They'd rather just be a person making the coffee or sweeping the floors or setting up the chairs. Um, and, and, and they're uncomfortable, but they deliver such a great message that people just float out of the room sometimes, you know, uh, like uh, 
uh, nobody would would drink, you know, be, between here and and uh, uh, Charleston. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, but they hate doing it. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy who wanted to be the speaker at the first meeting I ever went to. Uh, that's just. <laughs> That's just the way I'm wired, so I like doing this. They didn't ask me. I was a little drunk that night. <laughs> but, uh, but gosh, I love doing it, and I, I love the opportunity. Um, and uh, <laughs> when Carla and I first got together, we, were, we had dated for two or three weeks when uh, one of us, I don't even remember which one, said, listen, you know, um, I've had... Uh, personal uh, relationships damaged by uh, being of service. And I want you to know, when they call, I go. And whichever one of us didn't say it, said, yeah, that's what I do. So that's what we do. And now we get to do it together a little, uh, in fact, quite a lot. And and, uh, and it's just, it's so flattering. Uh, but uh, if you're new, sometimes the, the speaker seems like some uh, upper class of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's never the case. Uh, I know, I know the other speakers uh, that were invited, and uh, uh, Bill and Matthew and Magdalena, uh, um, who are just members. They're members, you know, and uh, and and good people and good friends. I, I love them, and and my wife Carla, uh, the same. And and uh, so I want to thank. Uh, it's funny you come. Sometimes you come to think somebody picks you up at the airport. Oh, and they have a sign with your name on it sometimes, you know, and, and then they, and you get to your hotel room and sometimes they'll have a fruit basket or, you know, chocolates or flowers or something and you just want to go. I'm, I don't know if you understand. I'm just, I'm a guy who just, I didn't invent anything. You know, I just kind of uh, spent my, most of my life uh, screwing up everything I ever touched and hurting everybody that ever cared about me. Yeah, yeah, tell us about that. And, and uh, <laughs> my sponsor, Bob Bizantz, says uh, we're, we're a, a, an organization of losers. You know, nobody comes here on a winning streak. And uh, uh, so I want to, it's good to see Lee, my, my friend Lee. We share a sponsor. And uh, uh, and I want to thank Dano and Taylor for picking us up at the airport, and I want to thank Bill for inviting us. Uh, All right, so if you're a coach, a consultant, or an entrepreneur, you want to make an extra million dollars this year, there's something in my mailbox. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Here you go. Back to Doug. Uh, and, uh, you know, and to see good friends, uh, Vivian and, and uh, my friend George from, from L.A., and, and uh, just, you know, and, and a bunch of new friends, too. Um, we we, uh, <laughs> we we knew we were coming here for a long time, and the flight was was booked for quite a while. And I called American Airlines Thursday morning to check in because you can you know you can check in online 24 hours before the flight. So I called them, or I went online, and um, there was no check-in option. There was you know email the itinerary and do this and print it out and whatever, but there was no check-in. So I kept trying to get it. Finally, I called American Airlines and they put me on hold because the, the the half the nation or a quarter of the nation is, you know, uh, flights are canceled because of the, the weather. And uh, so when I finally got somebody, he said, oh, I see why you can't check in. That flight is canceled. <laughs> so, well, we, we have to uh, be in North Carolina uh, or South Carolina um, tomorrow. So... Um, 
uh, what can you do about that? And he said, well, we can fly you into Savannah on Saturday. I said, that's not good. Uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we're supposed to be there. So we, they managed to, and I called, uh, I called Bill and talked to his wife, Diana, and, and uh, we were <laughs> trying to get things worked out. And finally, they flew us through Dallas into Savannah, and, and uh, Dano and, and Taylor drove down to Savannah to pick us up. So we managed to get here, and these things always seem to get worked out. And if they don't, <laughs> some of you have heard uh, Ken D, who uh, who is a great speaker, and he said one time he was supposed to talk in Houston, and uh, he got on a flight from San Diego, and they went to Salt Lake City, and then because of the weather, they were postponed. And uh, you know, you start talking to somebody sitting next to you on the plane, and where do you go on, and what are you doing there, and oh, I'm speaking at a conference. Oh, what kind of conference? Oh, it's Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and. And sometimes they go, good for you, you know, like you just <laughs> just told them you just won second place in the Special Olympics or something. And, and uh, uh, <laughs> but but uh, Ken said he was sitting in Salt Lake City and this guy said, uh, when are you supposed to speak at this conference? And he said, tonight. And he said, what time? It's eight o'clock. He said, well, you're, you're not going to make it. He said, nope, nope, not going to make it. And the uh, guy said, well, uh, what are they going to do? So they'll get somebody else. You know, there's a thousand people there. Somebody, anybody, anybody there can give the talk. <laughs> and the guy said, well, if anybody in Houston can give the talk, why are they flying you in from San Diego? And Ken said, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so, but I'm grateful that I get to do this, uh, and, uh, and it's fun to be here with you. You know, I, I don't know why I'm an alcoholic. Um, my, uh, my home group is called the Winner's Attitude Adjustment Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. We meet every day of the year at 7 a.m. in uh, Studio City, California. It's part of Los Angeles. Tahunga, where Car Carla and I live, is part of Los Angeles. And uh, Tahunga is interesting. It's, it's a... It's a Spanish spelling. It's a, the H sound is a J, but it's an Indian word, so it's not a Spanish word. You can't look it up in the Spanish dictionary. T-U-J-U-N-G-A. Evidently, it means where'd all these damn Harleys come from? And um, uh, so uh, we're uh, but like I was saying, I don't know why I'm an alcoholic. I um, I don't come from an alcoholic family. I'm the oldest of four kids, the only boy. And the only alcoholic in my immediate family, as far as I know, my dad. My dad likes his beer. He he would. Uh, my dad liked to have a a beer, you know. Uh, um, but the the thought of drinking so much beer that it affects your walking and your speech and your driving is just insane. Why would anybody do that? See, I'm just the opposite. I'm like a. My dad would buy like a six pack of beer on a Saturday and. Uh, stop what he's doing if he's working on a car or working in the yard or watching tv or whatever and have a beer and then go back to what he was doing which i don't understand that if i if i stop and have a beer that's what i'm doing and uh whatever i was doing before couldn't have been very important or why would i stop and have a beer so um but uh <laughs> my dad said that's just the way he is you know he so um he didn't understand the way i drank i don't understand the way he drank and uh, my mother may be an alcoholic we don't know we couldn't tell there's no way to tell because you won't drink. And, uh, 
That's the best way to tell, really, is to watch how they drink. And if, uh, after I got sober and I was very interested to find out why I'm an alcoholic, it's a useless piece of information anyway. Uh, there used to be a, a Catholic priest from Alabama named Father Hillary. Some of you may have known him. Um, Father Hillary would say, it don't matter how the jackass got in the ditch, Liam. Get him out. And, uh, <laughs> and that, that makes sense. Uh, but I just, you know, I just wanted to know because I drank with some people who I know I was smarter than they are. I just knew it, you know, when you are, and but they could stop drinking. And so it doesn't have anything to do with how smart you are um, or, or, or your resolve. You know, okay, I can stop, I can have a beer, but I, 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 I have a shot of whiskey, but just one, you know, just, just a kind of, I don't know if I ever said just one, but maybe just a couple. And, uh, and then I really got to go. And then, you know, once you start, it's like Chuck C said, I don't start a fire to put it out. And, uh, uh, so, so I just I don't know why I'm an alcoholic, but I, um, so I but I was very interested to find out why. So I, I started looking at this and listening to people sharing, and I said to my mother, "What? You ever wondered what actors and actresses do when they have to get in shape really fast for a movie? Because I can promise you, it's why don't you drink?" And she said, "Why do you care?" And, I said, well, are you an alcoholic? And she said, am, am I an alcoholic? Have you ever seen me take a drink ever? No, that, but I know hundreds of alcoholics that don't drink. Why don't you drink? Are you an alcoholic? She said, why, why are you asking me this? I said, okay, I'll tell you why, because there's such a thing as a genetic predisposition, and it may be your fault I'm a drunk. So, <laughs> and she had pretty much the same response you just had. Uh, and she said, so it might be my fault. And she said, I'll tell you what my deal is. When I was young, I drank, and every time I drank, uh, I got sick stupid and obnoxious so i stopped and i said you got to drink through that mom you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> that part wasn't shocking to me it's just that she doesn't understand the promised land lies beyond the sick stupid and obnoxious uh, she, she didn't have the tenacity to make this program. My mother just passed away uh, just at uh, the end of last year. Let me tell you something. A lot of times, uh, I've been going to meetings for a long time, and it seems like every time around the end of the year or the beginning of a new year, there's always somebody in a participation meeting that will say, I'm so glad to see this year end and move on to the next year, as if, moving from 2015 to another number 2016 is going to change the conditions of the world you know and uh, a friend of mine said that to me a friend of mine said i said happy new year she goes oh i hope it is and she's sober a while so sober 15 16 years and and uh, and she had a horrendous story uh and and uh, and she's doing she's doing great but i i said she said uh, i'm just so glad to see 2015 in the rearview mirror aren't you 
I said, I, I, was it the whole year was bad for you? <laughs> she said, oh, God, yeah. I said, how about you? I said, well, you know, I could present it in a way that would make it sound like it was a bad year. And there were things that happened in the year. Uh, my sister, who was born on my second birthday, she's my, my younger sister, uh, got cancer. She had to have her leg uh, removed, and then the cancer spread. And she ended up, this May, she passed away. Uh, and so I lost my sister in May. And my sponsor, Dick Martin, died in September. And uh, and then my mother died in November. So uh, if I wanted to present it that way, oh my God, my sister died and my sponsor died and my mother died. That was um, three events that happened in 2015. Overall, 2015 was a good year, just like 2014 was a good year, just like 2013 was a good year. And uh, you know, I, I don't have bad years. I got some days that I don't care about having repeating, you know. I'm not, you'll never hear me say I wouldn't trade my, my best days drinking for my worst day sober. <laughs> I'm not one of those guys. Uh, I, I have, I've had some kind of miserable days in sobriety, and, I've, and I had some great days drinking and using. Uh, by the way, when I say using, let me clear this up. I'm an, um, I'm an alcoholic to the core. All my recovery is in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm also a drug addict. Uh, and uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is not a drug treatment program. Uh, however, if you're an alcoholic like I am, who is also a drug addict like I am, you work these 12 steps on your alcoholism, it does wonders for your drug addiction. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just kind of a side effect, you know? Uh, uh, so I, I'm not somebody who, who minds hearing about uh, drug use uh, in, uh, in AA. Oh, my, Carla, my wife Carla, uh, says it uh, the best I've ever heard. She said, mentioning drugs in an AA meeting is not a violation of the fifth tradition. Not mentioning alcohol is a violation of the fifth tradition. And, uh, and that's as well as I've ever heard it said. You know, I'm a drug addict uh, who is also basically an alcoholic. I treated my alcoholism with AA, and uh, and my drug addiction is a thing of the past. Uh, it's an outside issue, but it seems to be controversial anyway. Parenting is also an outside issue. It's an outside issue. It's not a parenting program. However, we come in here, we work these 12 steps, and our parenting skills seem to uh, benefit from it. Uh, it's not a it's not a work program, but we talk about employment. We talk about I was a bad employee. I was a bad employer. I had a bad employer. I had a bad employee. I was a bad work. I was a good work. Whatever. Um, but uh, nobody seems to mind if we talk about working or parenting or driving. Oh my God, uh, driving is an outside issue, and yet the streets of Hilton Head are so much safer because we're in here. <laughs> than if we were out there motoring around with a bottle between our knees. So, um, so it's just, however, and I enjoy drugs. I use, I only use um, every drug I ever heard of, um, <laughs> except for ones I've heard of since I got sober, you know. I don't, I don't use those, but I wonder, you know. <laughs> That's why I hang out with new people, you know. Hey, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. Did you ever do any of that ecstasy? Because uh, ecstasy is a good name for a drug. I don't know. Uh, you know, you get these new guys go, yeah, man, yeah. I did. How was that? Uh, dude, I'm here, you know. So, uh, <laughs> so I guess it wasn't the answer to all our problems. But uh, still, 
still, just because it's controversial, whenever, when I, I didn't know where my life was going to go when I was living the life, you know, uh, but if I had, if I could have seen around those corners, first time somebody said to me, hey man, try this, I would have said, uh, you know, I would love to, but I'm going to be speaking in an AA meeting in 30 years, you know, and uh, I don't want to piss off any of these old guys, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, uh, my, my first drink, uh, I didn't even intend to have it. I, I, I told you, but it wasn't any drinking specifically in my family, so I don't come from an alcoholic family. I didn't start drinking too young. My first drink, uh, I had friends in high school that drank. I just didn't care about it. It didn't look attractive to me. And, uh, uh, but my friend Morris, who was kind of my sexual sponsor, said, look, if you want to get a home run with this girl, you're going to have to get her drunk. And uh, I'm, I could follow directions, you know I mean? Like, like it, and, I, and that seemed like a good thing. I wanted to do that. Because we, we used to use those baseball terms, you know, first base, second base, third base, and home run. I don't even remember where the bases are now. Because uh, not enough bases in the first place, you know. and, and uh, it seemed like there ought to be like nine or ten bases, but uh, but uh, anyway, uh, but I remember a home run. That was a real important one. And uh, Morris said, if you want to get a home run with this girl, you have to get her drunk. So I went and stole a quart of Rainier Ale, which was the national beverage of Garden Grove, California, where I grew up. That's what all my guys drank. I got this quart of Rainier Ale, and we went and parked by the railroad track, and we'd been there before. We'd done some necking and petting, and, and, but now I got my ammunition, and I still didn't care about drinking. I'm tempted to drink, but I would have been happy to say, here, drink this and let me know when you're ready. Um, <laughs> you know, just seemed rude, so I, you know, so I opened it and I took a pull and I handed it to her and she drank some. And then she handed it back and we sat there and talked and kissed and passed this bottle back and forth. And it turned out one thing led to another. and. Did you know that one tablespoon of this ingredient can wipe out nail and skin fungus fast? If you're struggling with nail... Uh, it was the first time I ever had an alcoholic buzz. And I liked it. It was, it was, it felt loose and fun and, and free and, and, uh, and happy. And, uh, and it, I guess it did the same thing to her. So Morris was right. This is the first time I ever had uh, an alcoholic high and the first time I ever had sex in front of a witness. So. So I just, <laughs> I don't remember articulating it, but at some point that night I said, this, I'm going to do both of these things much as I can the rest of my life. Uh, it, it changed my life, you know, uh, it was a, a pivotal point. But um, I, uh, I went into the music business. I made mu money making music for a while, and, uh, and, then, uh, and then I got a job as a... a so well, I've worked a whole bunch of different jobs, but I, 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 25 years I was a prop man, uh, stagehand in L.A. for um, television, and uh, uh, so I retired from that. And I spent half of that time I was loaded, and half of it I was sober, and uh, and I worked on uh, on a lot of shows, and and uh, at some point. I, when I first got into that business, I got a pretty good reputation because I, I was, uh, I was, I paid attention, you know, and like, and I, you know, I was smart. I'm a figure outer, so uh, um, I could take direction, and uh, and you know, be where I was supposed to be, and 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 
So I got a good reputation and then I started to lose it because I either didn't show up or I show up later or I show up drunk. One time I showed up drunk, I was a head prop on, on, a, on a, a show at CBS and I, I didn't come in. I was too drunk, so I didn't I didn't call because I they, I knew they'd think I was drunk. I went in the next day and I said, "Geez, I had, where were you yesterday?" Well, I had had uh, food poisoning. I just said, uh, "Well, you couldn't call," you know. I said, "I'm sorry," and he said, "Sorry, hell, you're out of here. You're you're we we got by without you. We don't need you." So then a friend of mine who was a head prop on another show at ABC got me in as his second hand. And I was there for a while, then I got drunk one night, same thing, but now I've learned my lesson, so I went in, and I didn't see, <laughs> that seemed like, you know, it seemed like they're really, they're out to get alcoholics, like you show up, you don't show up, they fire, you show up, they fire, you, you know, but, uh, but things started to get out of hand, and I had a couple of friends who were getting sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and uh, um, so I'm watching them, but things were getting really getting out of hand. I, I didn't show up for my daughter. Uh, as I had a, a daughter. I was uh, married to this woman, and uh, we had uh, this little girl. And when she was about three years old, her mother had all she could take of me and said, "No, I'm I'm done. We're we're done." And we weren't we weren't married, so we just split up. But I stayed in my daughter's life, and and she uh, her mother remarried and and. Uh, I stayed friends with them, with with her mother and and her and her stepfather, and so I was welcome in their home. And but I, I sometimes I just uh, I you know I, I couldn't stop drinking. Uh, one time I was supposed to pick my daughter up, and she was like 12 years old. I was supposed to pick her up at noon on a Saturday. We were going to spend the day together, see a movie, go to dinner, spend the night at my house. I bring her back Sunday evening, and uh, that was the plan. We were both looking forward to it. But when I got over to her house, I was there at noon on Saturday, drunk. And I didn't mean to be drunk. I knew I was drunk, and I, damn it, I did it again. And uh, so I tried to act like I wasn't, and I didn't fool anybody. And uh, I wasn't there five minutes when her stepfather walked me out on the front porch, and he said, Doug, you're drunk. I, said, I, I am. And he said, uh, damn it. You know, Star was really looking forward to this. I said, I, 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 me too. And he said, I can't let her get in the car with you. And I, I understood that. I said, yeah, I get, I get it. And he said, uh, let me make this clear. You're welcome in our home anytime, sober. Don't come over here drunk anymore. It's very hard on Star. Boy, those words are like, like branded on my brain. You know, I can just picture him right this moment saying that. You're welcome in our home anytime, sober. Don't come over here drunk anymore. It's hard on Star. Part of my daughter. He's protecting my child from me. He didn't say, don't come over here drunk. We're afraid you're going to break our furniture, embarrass us in front of the neighbors, or fall in the pool. He's protecting my only child from me, which is what he should do. I understood every bit of that. And it broke my heart. Because I had good parents. I wanted to be a good parent. I wanted very much to be a good parent. I had good examples. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't not show up drunk. And I got in the car. I said, it won't happen again. He said, I hope not. I got in the car and I started to drive home. And I got halfway down the block. And my sis, I couldn't hold back the tears. The, the, the pain in my heart was so bad. The tears just came like Niagara Falls. And I couldn't even see to drive. I'm, I, I turned on the windshield wipers. You know. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea, but it didn't help. And uh, 
So I got a couple blocks away and I pulled into this parking lot, little strip mall, and I just opened the door and I put my feet on the pavement, put my head in my hands and I sobbed like a baby. I couldn't stand the pain and uh, the disappointment in myself. And I looked up and I saw this red neon sign said liquor. And I got out of the car and I walked in that liquor store and I bought a pint of whiskey. And I came back to the park, car and I sat in the car and I opened that bottle and I had a couple of pulls. And I was okay. I was okay. See, there are heads nodding in here. Of course there are, because you are the ones who understand. If I tell this story at a PTA meeting, uh, <laughs> you know, they look at you like you're an unfit parent, you know, like, uh, excuse me, sir, I don't know that I understood you. It sounded like you said you were so distraught over your drinking that you drank. <laughs> That's right, lady, and then I could drive. I hope you weren't on Tampa Avenue that day, because uh, I'm literally a danger to myself and others. You know? <laughs> but you understand. You're the only ones who understand. It's hard for, it, no, how can anybody understand it if they're not an alcoholic? It's like when Bob and Bill went to visit uh, Bill D. Alcoholics Anonymous number one, number three, in the hospital. And, and he said, listen, thanks you guys for coming, but uh, people have talked to me about my drinking. It doesn't do any good. I usually drink on the way home from the hospital. They said, we don't, we don't, we didn't come to talk about your drinking. We came to tell you about our drinking. And they did, and he got it. And they came back the next day when Bill D's wife was there. Bill said, these are the guys I told you about, the ones who understand. That's what you are. You're the ones who understand. That's what I am. I'm the ones who understand you. You know. You heard Carla this morning. And Matthew last night. And when you hear Bill tomorrow. Somebody in our life was the one who understood. And we understood that they understood. And. Uh, and it's, it's you know. It's, it's a miracle. I mean before. Before Alcoholics Anonymous. People used to die right and left. Of these things. Good people. Because they couldn't control their drinking. And nobody understood why. But my life was spinning out of control. I went skiing up at Mammoth. With a friend of mine. I skied off a cliff. And. Uh, because the way I like to ski. I like to get on the lifts. About 8.30 when they first opened. And. Um. Uh, when the snow's all fresh, you know, all groomed, and, and uh, be the first ones up at the top of the hill, and I get on there, and I take take my uh, gloves off and hook them on my vest, and I reach over here and get my little flask of whiskey and have a little shot of that whiskey, and then I reach over here and get my vial of cocaine and do a little one-in-one -one wake up, you know, and then I get off my windless pipe and fire that baby up and enjoy the scenery, you know, and... Uh, get up to the top and get off and make sure my bindings are all right, pull out my boater bag, have a little shot of water, whiskey, I mean, uh, uh, rum, I don't know, white wine. Uh, boater bag, boater bag has white wine. So um, you have to keep these things separate. So, um, and then ski down the hill and I'm loose and I'm free, you know, I'm like, it seemed like a, uh, I skied better loaded. But the problem is if you do that on every run after about 20 to 30 runs, <laughs> you're really in no condition to be involved in an athletic event. And uh, so I, I skied off this cliff, and I, um, I, it, it, you'd think, like, if I didn't explain it to you, you'd think it was an accident. No, no, I thought I could make it. 
Um, <laughs> I could have turned left like most people were doing, but uh, it's just there was a cliff there, and it was right after the Winter Olympics. And uh, you know when those Winter Olympics guys they go they're airborne and they they lean way over the front of the skis and they look like a bird. I didn't do that. I thought that was for looks. Uh, there's a reason they all do that. If you don't do that, for some reason, your skis will go straight up in the air. And then you're heading towards the planet with your skis on the top and your head on the bottom, which is never recommended. And um, so I landed upside down. Fortunately, my shoulder hit before my head did, and I broke my shoulder, and the ski patrol took me down. They put me in the hospital. They operated on my shoulder. I'm out of work for six weeks. And... Uh, I just got back to work. I'm back to work about a month or two, and uh, somebody had a party that lasted all night long. And uh, in the morning, there was just a few of us left, about four of us left, and the woman who owned the house said, if somebody will take me to the store and get some eggs, I'll make breakfast. They said, I'll do it. And I got my Harley parked across the driveway, so we went out and we got on the scooter, started to go get eggs. I don't know why I thought eggs and Harley was a good combination, but, uh, uh, but now we're going down the road, and it's like sunrise. The sun is just spreading across the horizon, you know, you know how it does, and just starting to light up the sky a little bit, it's a beautiful scene, and, um, uh, and, and it was April, April in Southern California, it's not hot, it's not cold, it's brisk, you know, at sunrise, and, and, the, and it was before that California had a helmet law, so our hair is flying in the air, we got that Harley rumble going on, and there's no traffic, and, and uh, so uh, we both had the same idea, it was like, this is so sexy, we should make love in the great outdoors. Um, it seemed like just a, it was like a, a thought that came to both of us, like mental telepathy. And uh, so, but I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with downtown Burbank, uh, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's not an area with a lot of uh, outdoor lovemaking venues. Uh, we managed to find a four-story parking structure, and uh, that. Uh, that helped. <laughs> we could go up and have the top of that four-story parking structure where nobody could see us. We'd still have the sky open, and it just seemed beautiful. But then the gate was it was barred up. The gate was locked. So we went around to the fire escape and parked the bike and went up the fire escape and uh, got to the top of the fire escape, and that door is locked. But I'm kind of bright, you know, so I, uh, I know that the door to the fire escape, of course, is unlocked from the inside. So I jumped up on the wall, and I'm going to swing over and open that door, and then we'll have the whole top to ourselves. And I got the jump all right. I'm hanging from the wall, and I know somehow I'm going to get over. I'm trying to do a pull-up, but I can't quite do that. I'm swinging back and forth. I know some, I always manage to, I almost always manage uh, to <laughs> come out of these things. But this time, um, I remember seeing the, the wall going up, and... Um, <laughs> Quickly, I figured out this is a stationary wall. It can't be going up. I must be going down. And so, um, so I fell 54 feet, and uh, I landed feet first. And then, of course, when I landed, my knees buckled, and my foot came up. I kicked myself in the ass. Is what happened. And broke my pelvis in two places, and snapped the heel bone off my right foot, and shoved it through my foot like a bowling ball and just broke all those little bones in your foot, you know, and uh, so I didn't walk away from that one. But here's the deal. God has always been with me, whether I recognize it or not. This happened to be the parking structure of St. Joseph's Hospital. So, 
So the gal was with me, ran into the ER, and she said, help, help me, my friend just fell off your parking lot, and it broke him. And uh, he's easy to find. He's crumpled up at the bottom of the fire escape there. And uh, so they came out and got me and put me in the trauma center, and uh, I would be in and out of consciousness. It turned out I had a .40 blood alcohol level, and... Later on, I thought well, I was pretty good driving that motorcycle over there barefoot, you know, with uh, as drunk as I was, <laughs> and I almost made the jump. And uh, uh, <laughs> so I was in the hospital for ten days while they tried to figure out what to do with my foot. They had to reconstruct it, and uh, um, friends would bring me in gifts, you know. And uh, it never occurred to me to say to the doctors, "Look, I know you're giving me Demerol and Percodan for the pain. Thank you." I'm self-administering Irish whiskey and cocaine. Is that going to be a conflict? Uh, and I thought, well, if, if it is, you know, I'm in a hospital. It's not like they have to come find me someplace. So uh, anyway, I got out of there. It took me five months to learn to walk uh, and uh, without crutches or a cane or something. And so my friend Teddy got sober. And and Teddy would, she was great. She was a dangerous drunk. She was, she was really fun to drink and use with but she was dangerous she would you know start a fight that you had to finish and, and she'd do things like that you know and uh, take a swing at somebody and because I, you know you're with her well what are you going to do and so uh you know she's just kidding you know and uh, uh so but teddy got sober and she turned into a lady almost immediately just so quick you know i mean uh she wasn't dangerous anymore, and she was, she was really smart and funny. Now she's just smart and funny and sober and dependable. She'd show up. She'd be where she said she was going to be when she said she was going to be there, dressed appropriately and speaking in whole sentences. And, uh, and I was impressed with that. I was glad for her. Uh, and I told her, I'm really happy for you. And, she, and But every time you talk to her, she'd say something like Big Book or Meeting or Sponsor or something. And finally I said, look, I don't know. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're trying to draft me into your organization or whatever, but, you know, I'll tell you this, Ted, if I ever see alcohol interfering with my life, I probably will go to AA. <laughs> and she was with me through all that stuff. She said, if you ever see it interfering with your life, my God, Doug, what would you call interference? Brain death? And I said, okay, I see where you're going with this, you know, but... Um, I don't think that accidents should count. Uh, seriously, anybody fall off a four-story building drunk or sober, you're going to get hurt. I mean, uh, being drunk may have saved my life for all I know. Uh, you know, you've you got alcoholism mixed up with gravity, honey. And, and uh, so she just gave up. I'm, she's, okay, whatever. And she went home. But all that week, whenever I had a little quiet moment, you know, like you have these little quiet meditation moments, I'd picture Teddy's face saying, what would you call interference, brain death? And I started thinking about it. Like any of those the accidents I told you about could easily have ended in brain death. I didn't have any control over that. There were other ones that also could have ended in brain death. There'd be a, the next one may end up in brain death, and there'll be a next one. I understood all of that, and I started to scare me a little bit. Then it started to scare me a lot. I could end up, because of my drinking, because I won't stop drinking, it could end up in a bed or a wheelchair the rest of my life, unable to feed myself or go to the bathroom by myself and know it. That's the scariest part, and know it. 
And the more I thought about it, the more it scared me. And I rushed right down to AA three years later. And, and, uh, <laughs> people call me compulsive. No. <laughs> Some things. Uh, but uh, not so much recovery. And um, so I went to my first meeting. Somebody told me, go to a big speaker meeting. They'll leave you alone to lie. Um, I went there, and I, I didn't, the meeting started at 8.30, but I didn't know what time it started, so I got there at 6.30. It was at the, a community room, a subterranean community room in the Valley Presbyterian Hospital in the San Fernando Valley. And I got there early, and I'm watching. There were people there. They're setting up chairs. They're making coffee. They're setting up the literature. They're all hugging and laughing. And I'm just uh, sort of put off by it, but I'm amused by it, too. And I'm leaning against the wall over by the double doors, and uh, people would come up to me and go, are you new? And I'd say, no, I'm not. And most of them would walk away. And uh, this, uh, this one guy came up and he goes, you're new. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, uh, oh, what's your name? I haven't seen you here before. I said, uh, my name's Doug, and you haven't seen me here before because I've never been here before. So that explains that. Uh, he goes, oh, well, that's what we mean by new, man. You're new. Like, you're, you're a new, you're new. You've never been here before. And I said, oh, okay. Okay, all right, I'll buy that. I'm new like I've never been here before, but I'm not new like a new member, okay? <laughs> I didn't come here to be like the newest, uh, <laughs> the newest little berry on your tree, you know, like a... I'm not over here, I, I don't know what it looks like to you, but I'm not over here, help, help, I'm drowning in a sea of alcohol. That's not me, man, that's just not who I am. I'm observing, okay? I'm visiting, all right? I'm auditing the class, you know what I'm saying? You know, I'm just checking it out, man, okay? That's what I'm here for, I'm here to check it out. Um, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not a joiner, okay? I, I just, I never have been, man, I, I'm a loner. You know, uh, 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 an outlaw, uh, uh, a desperado. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm a misfit, man. I have been all my life. I, I don't fit in school. Uh, I barely fit in my own damn family. I don't fit in the workplace. You know, I just, I, I'm a loner. I'm a, uh, you know, I just, um, you know, so, uh, so just don't put me on your little roster or whatever, you know. Don't, don't give me your number. Don't ask for mine, you know. Just wave as you pass, you know. I'm just over here minding my own business. Uh, you might try that sometime, see how that works for you. And uh, and uh, you can't insult you people away, you know. This guy, this guy's got a big grin. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna fit right in. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. So the, there was another guy leaning against the wall by the double doors on the other side of the double doors. We're both sitting there cross-armed, looking irritated, and everybody else is doing stuff and hugging and laughing and and setting up chairs and doing stuff. And and then the uh, more people filed in. Somebody said, "There's some chairs over there. If you want to sit down." I said, "You know, I've been here a long time. I saw them set up these chairs." I see people come in, they put down a jacket, put down a purse, put down keys, no keys, no purse, no jacket, that seat's available. I get it, I'm a figure-outer. But um, the fact is, I may not be able to stay for your whole deal. 
So if I have to leave, I don't want to cause a big scene. Excuse me, pardon me, all that. I'm okay standing back here. I'm fine. Back here by the exit, okay? And, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just... Uh, today, I think if somebody said, uh, I don't want to sit down because I may have to leave, I would expect that that meant they were going to get a call or a text or something because they didn't care enough about AA to leave the phone in the car. But anyway, um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, I, I didn't have a phone. Nobody had phones in 86. I mean, people had phones at home. They had answering machines. Some people had pagers. I didn't have a pager either. I didn't need one. Nobody wanted to contact me. What the hell I need a pager for? Um, but what I had was a uh, uh, garage door opener with a belt clip on it. And <laughs> it looked cool, you know, like I was somebody important. Like, and it's cool because it never bothers you. And, uh, but if you want to use it, like you're in a conversation and your head says, shut up, go get a drink, you can go, oh, um, I got to get this. I'll be right back. <laughs> Perfect. Unless somebody uh, says, what is that? It looks like my garage door opener. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's a combination uh, garage door opener, pager, and uh, TV remote. It's the latest, coolest thing. So I said it. Uh, I got one, you know. So anyway, they started the meeting, and me and this other cool guy are still standing in the back. And I thought, we're the cool section here, you know, we're, we're too cool to sit down. And and uh, we're standing back at the back when they started the meeting, and people read stuff. And and um, the secretary said at one point, we have a birthday tonight. We have a birthday for Ruth for 18 years. And everybody said, Yay, Ruth! Yay, Ruth! And I thought. I love that, that they celebrate people's birthdays. <laughs> so I'm looking around for Ruth, some 18-year-old tiny Heidi, right? Uh, <laughs> Ruth. Ruth gets up. It's a, it's a meeting with a stage, you know, like they had a proscenium stage with curtains and everything. You had to walk upstairs to get to it. And Ruth is walking through the audience, and Ruth is 50 if she's a day. And my first thought was, God damn, if she's 18, she should stop drinking. Um, but she didn't look bad. She looked, she was dressed up and made up and quaffed, you know. I mean, uh, she was coming to take her birthday cake. I didn't know that, you know, that they had, uh, I didn't know that they, they call them birthdays when people have, but I figured out, okay, this is AA. They don't drink. Ruth hadn't had a drink in 18 years. Maybe it's a national record. I don't know. That's a long time, 18 years. So I thought, well, happy birthday, Ruth. Oh, my God, I cued the choir. I didn't know. I don't know if you do this here, but uh, in California, Southern California, we clap for everything, and we sing happy birthday if somebody's having a birthday. So uh, everybody starts, happy birthday. to 200 people singing happy birthday in four different keys at the same time. I told you, I, I'm a musician, I, I'm a guitar player, and uh, I know bad singing from good singing. It's, uh, when it's that bad, it's not a hard uh, to identify. So, uh, and many of them were not even committed to the key they started in. So, 
so I'm kind of surprised, shocked by this. And I looked over at the other cool guy to see if he notices he's singing with him. So I really am the only cool person in the room. And, uh, and they had a piano on stage. They had a baby grand piano with a sheet over it. And I thought somebody in this room can play. I still believe any group of 200 Americans, average Americans, somebody can fake happy birthday on the piano. It's not hard. It's a three-chord song, CGD. And um, I thought I could do it. I'm not even a piano player. And I could. Uh, maybe I should. <laughs> do them a favor, you know. Be a big hero. Run up there, yank that sheet off of there. Here I come to save the day, you know. And get everybody in the same key and... Then I, all of a sudden I had this little, like a little tiny sponsor thought, you know. You know, sometimes that hero thing doesn't work out like you think it's going to. Mm. Why don't you just shut up? It's a short song. Okay. So, the happy birthday, keep coming back. And then Ruth gets up and these girls have this cake and then she blows the candles out. And everybody claps and she says, I, my name's Ruth and I'm an alcoholic. And everybody, of course, goes, hi, Ruth. And I... <laughs> it's like this is like kindergarten or something <laughs> my friend Scott used to say this is some level of lameness I never knew was available to me <laughs> so so Ruth says I want you to know that over these last 18 years of sobriety I've attended a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous every single day well, I didn't know they had AA meetings every single day, let alone that you would go to one every day for 18 years. I was just, I, 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 just, I didn't know how to take it. I, and I looked over at the other cool guy to see if he's giggling at this. And then I realized I'm really alone. This guy is a member. I know that because now he's heading over to me and he's got his hand out like we do, you know, and that sunbeam for Jesus smile. And he takes my hand in both hands and he says, hey, I'll tell you what, you stay sober a year, we'll give you one of them cakes. <laughs> okay, that isn't weird. Don't, don't drink for a year and you get a cake. really know anything about this guy like I thought I did. I, I, only thing I know about him, he values cake more than I do. Because to me, it seemed like if you don't drink for a year, you ought to get a car. You know, something. And I just, I was too shocked to make fun of him. I, I, I said, uh, I'm not much of a pastry eater, you know. Um, if I wanted a, a cake, I'd just stop at Safeway on the way home. I, you know, I think, I think they're like five bucks. Uh, yeah, or I could not drink for a year. Hmm. <laughs> I told, uh, in, in fact, it wouldn't even be out of my way. I got to stop and get a six pack anyway. Um, 
but uh, but thank you. And so then uh, people read stuff, like I said, and uh, and somebody talked for an hour. It was a speaker meeting. I can't tell you if the speaker was a man or a woman, let alone what he or she said. That's how important the speakers are. <laughs> we we just kind of fill up time, you know, so, so people can digest their food. And um, uh, but I remember that at some point the secretary is like blah 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 blah, and this is our big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, the basic text of our program. It's the only authority on AA. I heard her say that it's the only authority on AA. And she said, if you're new, please don't leave without this book. So we established I'm new, so I will steal the book. And uh, they had a bunch of them on a table with some other stuff, and I realized I could go pick up that book, act like I'm fascinated with it, and walk right out the door. Wow, this is going to really help. I'm so, oh, this, man, this is great. And walk right out the door, and I had a feeling um, that they, if they even noticed, they'd say, let them go. And I still think that might have happened. I didn't get to test that because... She said, uh, if you're new and you're financially embarrassed, we understand that. We've been there. We want you to have this book. We'll make very liberal credit arrangements, including nothing down and nothing a week till you get back on your feet. So now if I steal the book, you're going to think I'm homeless. And uh, I'm barely holding on to it, but I got a job and uh, I got money. Hardcover book is probably 20, 25 bucks, you know. Um, so I got to wait till the end of the meeting so I can go up and buy one of the books. And I went up to her afterwards. I said, excuse me, ma'am, can, uh, can I buy one of your books? She said, oh, the big book? Yeah, the big book. Yeah, I've seen bigger. Um, <laughs> how much is that big book? She said, it's... Uh, it's 4.65. Do you have it? It's four dollars and sixty-five cents. Yeah, I think I can handle that. Here's a uh, here's a five. Keep the change. <laughs> she said, "No, I'll get your change." No, lady, I'm listen. I'm very serious about this. I want you to keep the change and use that change to help a drunk because I'm on my feet. Okay, so um, she said, "Okay." So, she gave me, I got the big book, and on the way home, I stopped and got a bottle of whiskey. So I get home with my big book and my fifth of whiskey, and I poured about three fingers of whiskey, and I sat down to read this book. And I did not stay up all night studying the book. I have the ability to look at the title of a chapter, almost any book, and pretty much know everything in the chapter. It's uh, <laughs> just a gift that I have. And uh, so... Um, of course, I didn't bother with the doctor's opinion. I've had doctor's opinions, so I don't need that one. I got into the chapter one, Bill's story. Who cares? Chapter two. Chapter two, there's a solution. That's a sales pitch. Young man, there's a solution to your problem. The 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous will give you a life beyond your wildest drunken dreams. Uh, great. Chapter 3, more about alcoholism. Now that sounded like it actually could be the most boring piece of literature in the English language. So I'm going to save that one until I'm tweaking some night, you know. feel like I got toothpicks in my eyelids. And more about alcohol. So I'm already up to Chapter 4, We Agnostics. <laughs> we Agnostics. When I walked into my first AA meeting, I expected to find a bunch of people who used to drink like I drink, and don't anymore, 
I believe that. And we're atheists and agnostics. Because uh, my grandmother, who was a drunk, got sober when she found Jesus. And she was sober 37 years. She became a Pentecostal minister. Foursquare gospel minister. And she opened a Skid Row mission in San Pedro, California. On Beacon Street in San Pedro, if you know that area. And at that time in the 50s, it was a very, very rough area. And people got killed there. Somebody got killed on Beacon Street almost every night at that time. And... Uh, my grandmother's little white dove Pentecostal mission was right there. And she would bring these wharf rats and winos in and save their lives, save their souls. And they'd stop drinking. And then she quit drinking and she quit smoking. And she hated AA. And I always thought she hated AA because there was no God here. Because people got sober without God. And when you come here, you don't have to be here five minutes before you hear my higher power, power greater than myself, humbly asked him with a capital H, admitted to God, prayed to God, told God, oh my God, God, the last house on the block is Sunday school. Are you kidding me? And I was so irritated, but now I'm reading this book the secretary had said was the only authority. It's got a whole chapter called We Agnostics. I was so elated. I poured another three fingers of whiskey and I read chapter four all the way through. And I finished, I thought, I have absolutely no idea what I just read. So I poured some more whiskey and I read it again. And then I poured some more whiskey and I read it. I'm looking for how the smart people stay sober without God, and it's not in there. But there's a couple of things in there. One of them is... I was so elated, I poured another three fingers of whiskey and I read chapter four all the way through. And I finished, I thought, I have absolutely no idea what I just read. So... I poured some more whiskey and I read it again. And then I poured some more whiskey and I read it again. I'm looking for how the smart people stay sober without God and it's not in there. But there's a couple of things in there. One of them is a sentence that on my probably third reading jumped off the page at me. Very subtle, but incredibly significant. It said, we found that God doesn't make too hard terms on those who seek him. I never heard that before. Anybody I ever heard talk about God, whichever, and I, you know, I knew something about religions of the world, Western and Eastern, and it seemed to me, in my drunken opinion of organized religion, that every religion said you have to jump through spiritual hoops to get God's attention. My grandmother's Pentecostal church never said that. Uh, they, in fact, they would say just the opposite. You know, uh, they had a way of saying my one-syllable name in less than a syllable, you know. Hello. <laughs> I do hope you brought your guitar. We're going to make a joyful noise tonight. And uh, they would say, you know, uh, we are very sure that God makes hard times on those who seek him. Boy, you know God will not even hear your prayers unless you're baptized. And I don't mean sprinkled on the forehead like some Methodist. No. No, I'm talking about total submission, boy. Total submission, that's why we got a tank of water for Christ up here. Come on up, son. We're going to soak you down, pull you up, washed in the blood of the Lamb, praise Jesus. Amen. Somebody get the boy a towel. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm like 14 years old that I am not getting wet in this room tonight. I, I, I'm absolutely positive my grandmother would die before she let him drown her only grandson, but she's a little bitty thing. These are big old fat guys, and maybe she told him I touched myself. I don't know. 
you know. They could be sending my ass to Jesus for my own good as far as I could tell, you know. So I'm like, I said, I, you know what, I got brand new Levi's on, shrink to fit, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, if I get in that tank, man, I won't be able to ride my bicycle home, you know. So, yeah, I'll be back, you know, I'm out of there. But it wasn't just the Pentecostals. My girlfriend was Catholic. She had to go to confession, communion, confirmation, a bunch of other cons to um, determine how many Hail Marys and Our Fathers would cleanse her soul of the various kinds of sins. I know we got Catholics in here. Validate me. Catholics don't have sin. They got them categorized. They got levels of sin. Venial, menial, cardinal, mortal. Some of them, you don't even have to do them. If you think about them, express way to hell, partner. Like... You could, you could go to hell for thinking about sin. You could burn in perdition for eternity for thinking about sin. And I remember, okay, this is not going to be my deal here. I'm, not, I'm out of here. But I wonder how long I could actually go without thinking about sin. Oh, shit. And, uh, <laughs> my friend Michael was an Orthodox Jew, and he and his brother Sherm had to wear spit girls to school. So I remember, oh, there's a loving God for you, all right? Uh, went over to their house for dinner one night. His mom says, Doug... Welcome to our home. It's an honor to have you. Would you like to join us in some wine and challah? Some what? She said, would you like to join our family in some wine and challah? I said, well, I'll have some wine. I, uh, I'm not much of a pastry eater, uh, Mrs. Stein. And uh, and then there were Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims. Oh my! So uh, by the time I got to AA, I'm like, here's the line: all the religions of the world over there. I'll be over here making fun of you. And that's the guy that came to AA. I didn't have an epiphany when I read that that uh, God doesn't make too hard terms, or that you don't have to accept anyone's concept of God. Find one you're comfortable with that seems to be okay with the Creator. I understood what that said, but it was just such a new concept. I had to go back to AA. And I knew I had a problem with alcohol. I was kind of hoping that I was the kind of alcoholic who didn't have to stop altogether. That once I got a little handle on my drinking, even if I had to stop for a couple of months, that I could have a cold beer on a hot day. It just makes sense, you know. Or a glass of wine with dinner, you know. I'll be a 12-ounce porterhouse, please, medium rare, and a nice dry red. Maybe a Beaujolais or a Pinot Noir or... Petite Syrah, what year petites do you have? You know what I'm saying? You know, that's a responsible adult beverage consumption. That's what I'm looking for. A margarita with my enchilada. You know, a, a little sake with my sushi. Or sometimes get a fifth of whiskey and chug it down and have an inappropriate experience. But, uh, but just not all the time. And so uh, I went to AA for eight months. And I went five, six, seven times a week for eight months. Went to different groups. Because uh, I really didn't want anybody to get to know me, so I didn't have a home group. I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't read the book. I didn't take the steps. I didn't know what a tradition was. I didn't have a commitment anywhere. I didn't believe in God, and I was drinking every day. So, except for that, I had a pretty good program. But, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> finally, I, I came home from a meeting one night. It's about 10:30 at night, and I laid on the floor and opened a bottle of whiskey and watch TV until I passed out, woke up in the middle of the night, about 3 a.m. I used to do that a lot, wake up about 3 a.m., bottles half full, I don't know where the cap is, I got it, I crawled on my hands and knees through the living room, through the hallway, into the bedroom to go to bed, some people call it 
pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I, I just call it going to bed. Um, <laughs> but the first time I thought about it, hey, I thought it was brilliant. You can't fall off the floor. So uh, I got into my bedroom and I stood up to get undressed and I fell. As soon as I stood up, I fell on my knees and I spilled this whiskey all over the bed. And I picked it up and most of it's in there. It was still some in the bottle. Most of it's in the bedspread. So I set that bottle in a safe place and I grabbed the bedspread and started sucking whiskey out of it. And a voice in my head said, Amen. That ain't right. <laughs> you, uh, you thirsty? There's whiskey in the bottle, man. Not thirsty, I'm frugal. I, uh, I waste my life, but I'm not letting the whiskey evaporate in the bedspread overnight. And, uh, look what I was doing, and I knew, you know, that only an alcoholic would do that. It didn't surprise me. I knew I was an alcoholic, but I didn't know what to do about it. All of a sudden, I was out of ideas. I always had some kind of idea, you know, maybe this, maybe that. I was out of ideas, and I've been going to AA for eight months, and I've been hearing you people talk about things. And I heard a lot of people say this. They ask God for help. And people told me, if you ask God for help, the help will come. I thought it was a metaphor or something, but I, I'm out of ideas, so I just said, God, if you're there, please help me. And I went to bed, and I went to sleep. And over the next couple of weeks, every single day, something odd would happen. Not, not like the parting of the Red Sea, just something odd. One in my neighborhood liquor store. Everybody behind that counter, day or night, knows who I am. They know what I drink. All they need to know is pint or half pint, really. And uh, I walked in there the next day, this guy from AA behind the counter. And by the way, I'm lying about my sobriety. I'm taking, I got four different sobriety dates at four different groups. I'm taking bogus chips. And uh, so I don't remember how much time this guy thinks I have, you know, or if he even cares. But I said, what are you doing in here? He said, no, what are you doing in here? I said, I just I came to get some cigarettes, you know. So I got my smokes and I went someplace else and got a bottle. But then I'm in the, in the liquor department of the supermarket, reach up for a bottle, somebody from AA is pushing a cart towards me, hey, one day at a time, keep it simple. And um, I'm at a restaurant in Burbank across from NBC, I went over for lunch and uh, the waitress is somebody I know from AA. This is happening to me every day. Somebody from AA between me and a drink. And it didn't keep me from drinking, it just created little hurdles I was happy to jump over. But it's happening every day and I can't ignore it. Finally, I'm on the way to work after a couple of weeks, literally 14 days of this. And uh, I just killed a half pint of Bushmills at 3 a.m., or not 3 a.m., 6.30 a.m. And uh, I'm on the way to work and uh, I just killed this half pint of Bushmills and I don't keep empty bottles in the car. They're illegal and useless. And uh, I rolled down the window and tossed this bottle out the window just as a guy from AA is driving towards me. He saw me and waved, and I threw a bottle in front of his car. Bang, bang. And I thought, where are these people coming from? God, they're like, they're like cockroaches. Really? Have we seen a person fail? <laughs> so like those stupid miracles they talk about in AA. And as soon as I thought the word miracle, it was like I could hear God laughing. <laughs> I pulled the car over to the side of the road and I sat there and I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I didn't know I was at the second step. It's clear now. But uh, it was the beginning of my sobriety, the beginning of hearing the music of Alcoholics Anonymous. I think there's a rhythm and a harmony and a melody that runs through this thing that makes the, the words make sense. The words don't always make sense till they're set to music. And uh, 
if, uh, if, you wonder, if you're new and you're wondering, what the hell is this idiot talking about the music of AA, um, you stick around. And if, and if you're older, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but I started to do things right. I got a sponsor. I'm going to meetings. I'm getting commitments at meetings. I'm, I'm sweeping floors and I'm washing coffee cups and ashtrays. And uh, I, um, I didn't read the book. My sponsor didn't tell me to read the book for some reason. So, uh, but I, I, and I'm a slow reader, but I'm, I got a good memory. So people would quote the book in, in uh, meetings and I just remember what they said. It's dangerous because sometimes people misquote the book. Um, but, you know, you get things like, uh, well, you know, it says that they give you a page number sometimes. It says on page 84 that uh, love and tolerance of others is our code. That one happens to be accurate. But all the stuff I was quoting wasn't necessarily. And a lady said, our book says, I'm yes, <laughs> our book says that our drinking was but a symptom of deeper underlying causes and conditions. I hadn't, I didn't, hadn't heard that before. And, and actually, that's not an exact quote, but it's close enough. It's a good paraphrase. But then she went on to say something that was not in the book at all, not even suggested, that if you don't find your deeper underlying cause and condition, you're going to drink again. And that scared me because I don't know what my deeper underlying cause and condition. I told you about my first drink. told you about my family. I don't know what my deeper... I just started drinking. I liked it, and it just got out of hand. I don't deeper underlying cause and condition. Oh my God. I, so I started looking for it, you know, and I thought, oh my God, when I was 24 years old, I had just moved from Orange County up to Hollywood to try to make a living making music. And I was getting some, some work. I was playing bass in a band. I was, uh, somebody would say, would you play harmonica on my, on my record? Or would you sing background? I wrote a song. I co-wrote another song. I was making, I was paying the rent. And there was a show that came to town. It was a Broadway musical called Hair. And it just opened in Hollywood, and I went to see it, and I fell in love with it. It's like, I love Broadway musicals anyway. Flower Drum Song, and Oklahoma, and, you know, Music Man, all that stuff. And this was like a Broadway musical about hippies with rock and roll music, and I just fell in love with it. And there was a character named Burger that stripped down to a loincloth, swung on a rope, screamed rock and roll, and insulted the audience, and I thought, I could do that. So I... The next day, I called the Aquarius Theater, and, and the uh, receptionist said, Aquarius Theater, may I help you? I said, yeah, I want to be in your show. She said, just a minute, I'll connect you. See, I don't think this can happen today. 1969 was a different world. She connected me to the company manager, and he said, can I help you? I said, I want to be in your show. He said, well, can you sing and dance? So that's what I do for a living, man. <laughs> that's what I do. And I, and I never danced a step in my life. I'm up on the bandstand watching you dance. Good dancing, bad dancing, how hard could it be? So... Um, but I was comfortable with my singing, so I, I, I said, yeah. And he said, uh, what are you doing Friday at 1 o'clock? I said, you tell me. He said, yeah, be here at 1 o'clock. We're having an audition. What's your name? Told him, and he said, bring a piece of sheet music. We got a piano player. Bring a piece of sheet music. We want to hear you sing. Okay. So I went right down to the music store. I bought a piece of sheet music that I like to sing. Went home and practiced it all night long. This is on a Wednesday. Thursday, I practiced it again all day. And... Uh, Friday morning, I got my guitar out, and I practiced this song, and I broke a string on my guitar, which hippies were like, oh, bad karma, dude. So um, I went to my roommate's room to see if he had the string, because he was a guitar player. Right in the middle of his dresser, a little envelope with a D string on it. <laughs> there it is. Good karma, dude. So I picked it up. Underneath the envelope was a little white capsule, and I thought, I wonder what that is. Um, nope. Because <laughs> we didn't have a PDR. You pretty much had to swallow test everything. And, and uh, it's a good test. Forget about motor vehicles and heavy machinery and all that stuff. If you eat it, you're going to know exactly what it does. 
you can pass that information along, and if somebody dies, don't eat the green shit. So um, <laughs> this turned out to be THC, synthetic marijuana, and uh, a nice little psychedelic. So 45 minutes later, when I got down to the Aquarius Theater, I went down on my scooter, and I got down there, and I, I had my music in my right hand, and I turned off the bike, and I put the kickstand down, and it seemed like it took me about three minutes to swing my leg over, like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> I'm feeling very loose, uh, and I sort of floated up the stairs at the Aquarius Theater, and my hair was long over my shoulders at the time, and it just swished when I walked. And I had these hip hugger bell bottoms on, big bells like that. They call them elephant bells. And they're boom, 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 boom. And I had no shirt on. I'm wearing this vest with six layers of foot long red, white, and blue leather fringe. That was a walking wind chime. And uh, <laughs> I floated up the stairs and into the lobby and into the auditorium. And I see people are already down there auditioning. And I'm, and I'm looking at these, and I'm thinking, God damn, these hippies can sing and dance, man. I almost forgot why I was there. Till somebody said, uh, Doug Rowell, is Doug Rowell here? I said, yep, yep. Went running down the aisle and up on stage, and I handed my music to the piano player, and he opens it up, big grin, and he starts to play. Bum, 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 bum. I said, wow, I feel good. And I went into this. James Brown number, and I thought I was the godfather of soul, and I'm down on one knee, and I'm back up, and oh, wow, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm into it, you know, and uh, at the end, bum, 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 wow, and, and he said, uh, this guy that was, that was head of the, like, the judges, he goes, man, we love you, we love your energy, can you do something a little mellower just so we kind of get a range, and I said, no problem. I went into this a cappella version of Otis Redding's Dock of the Bay. And the piano player knew the tune, so he just picked it up. And we were right in the pocket. <laughs> Looks like nothing gonna change. I made myself cry. And uh, <laughs> everything still remains the same. And I uh, finished up, and they said, great, man, we love you. We love you. We just got to see you dance. Yeah, but by now, I'm okay, you know. <laughs> I never danced, but let's give it a shot. So I, I said to the piano player, hit it. And I started to move, and I suspect initially I probably looked like the offspring of Joe Cocker and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, you know, sort of a... But, uh, but it got good to me, <laughs> and I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm seeing uh, my hair... Coming around, I'm seeing trails off of my hair. And I'm seeing trails off this fringe. And I'm in this tornado of trails, and I heard somebody say, Jesus, can he dance? And uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, or, <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous, alcohol and drugs doing for me what I could not do for myself. And uh, they hired me. They hired me, but I thought I was auditioning for the Hollywood show. They were auditioning for the Las Vegas show. So it was Friday. They said, report to Las Vegas to the um, International Hotel at uh, on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. So I said, okay. So I got my affairs in order over the weekend, ate a tab of Warren Sunshine, got on my Harley and headed out <laughs> to make my fame and fortune. And uh, 
I got to Las Vegas and I got in the company. It took about three days to learn the show. And then I, then I was doing the show for a while with the company and then they gave me the understudy role of this character, Burger. And so every, about two times a week I would play this character, Burger. And then when we left Las Vegas after six months, they gave me the lead role, Burger, the obnoxious, sex-crazed leader of the tribe <laughs> for, you know, speed freak. And I was like, oh, boy, okay, it's a stretch, but I could do it. And, uh, <laughs> and we toured the United States and Canada for three and a half years, you know, uh, played all over the United States and Canada. And, and uh, we'd do two weeks here and a week, three weeks, whatever. And, and uh, people would come up on the stage. We'd invite people up on stage afterwards, you know, come up and dance with us. they come up. And, and uh, and uh, somebody would say, uh, "Hey man, we we own this bar down the street, and uh, we're having we're going to close it tonight, and just have you guys over. Come on over and just be our friends, and you and drinks are on the house, and we go over and we just drink all night for free. And the gay bars loved us; they would always do that. And and uh, uh, then the <laughs> somebody would say, "Hey man, you like pot here? Send to me and Maui Wowie, Panama Red, Acapulco Gold, give us all this great dope because we can sing and dance, you know." And uh, you like acid here, Osley, Purple Haze, Orange Sunshine, Window Pane, hey, 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 got a witness. Some girl would go, "Oh my God, I love you. Take me." <laughs> go, okay, if you don't want <laughs> So, so. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and travel around the country getting paid for it. It was a good job, really, but uh, I look back at it from my newfound sobriety, and I realized how they had used me. Uh, <laughs> you don't realize how you're being victimized when you're right in the middle of it, you know, but looking back, I just wanted to sing and dance and make people happy, uh, and, they, and they maybe a drug addict and an alcoholic. I called my sponsor and told him, I said, I found out my deeper underlying cause and condition. He said, oh, let's hear that. Hair. He said, well, will we have to cut your hair to keep you sober? Not my hair, the show. Remember I told you I was a big star traveling around the country? He said, oh, I forgot about the big star deal. Yeah, because you know, you're drunk now. But um, I thought you were loaded when you auditioned for that show. Yeah, I told him too much. And uh, I said, yeah. And he said, I'm going to go out on a limb and figure you had a problem before you ever got in that show. So, okay, I get it. Then I don't know what my deeper underlying cause and condition is. He said, don't worry about it, I don't know what mine is. But I started to do the things that were suggested around here to do, and it's made my life happier and happier. Carla and I got together about six years ago. We knew each other for 10 or 12 years before that in, in LA, in AA. We liked and respected each other, but we had to go to Arizona to start talking and getting serious. And on a plane ride back from Phoenix, I, uh, I asked her on a date, said, you want to go see a play with me? And she said, yeah, so we've been playing ever since. And we, uh, we, have, uh, we have a great life, you know. Um, Bill was, was at our wedding at our home, and, uh, uh, and we had about 200 family and AA friends there. And we just have this wonderful, beautiful life now. Um, if you're new and you're wondering, what is this moron talking about the music of AA? I think it's the laughter. We come in here sick unto death and dying and feeling like we'll never laugh again. And after a while you hear somebody laughing and you realize it's you. And we start to laugh and we laugh ourselves weller than we were before we got sick. What an incredible deal. The treatment, the treatment for a terminal illness, which would kill us otherwise, is to come in and hang out with a bunch of your friends 
take these 12 suggested steps and laugh yourself weller than we were before we got sick. It's an incredible gift. And yet there are people in this room and people in rooms like this all over the world who will say, no thanks, I'd rather get loaded. And we understand that. We get it. But if you're new, you don't have to be that one. You can be the one that does, gets a sponsor and does all the stupid stuff they tell you to do, even, just, even if it's just to prove it won't work. And watch your life turn golden in front of your eyes. If you don't drink for a year, we'll give you a cake. <laughs> Thanks for letting me share. Merry Christmas. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Fernando, your host for this meeting. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence, followed by the Lord's Prayer, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, let's go ahead and read today's daily reflection, please. Principles, not personalities. The way our worthy alcoholics have sometimes tried to judge the less worthy is, as we look back on it, rather comical. Imagine, if you can, an alcoholic judging another. From the language of the heart, page 37. Who am I to judge anyone? When I first entered the fellowship, I found that I liked everyone. After all, AA was going to help me to a better way of life without alcohol. The reality was that I couldn't possibly like everyone, nor they me. As I grown in the fellowship, I learned to love everyone just from listening to what they had to say. That person over there, or that one right here, may be one God has chosen to give me the message I need for today. I must always remember to place principles above personalities. Rock and roll. Good stuff. Yep, we have that all the time. We have... Um, People that don't like the meeting and they talk the same thing over and over again. What are you going to do? You're going to thank God and try to be that person. I'm Fernando, alcoholic. I'm going to try to be that person that God speaks through to others, especially to newcomers. Instead of uh... So the way that I would do it, lately I've been thinking about the word uh, defiance. You know, my lock, I changed my lock in the back. It was getting stuck, and, and the manufacturer is called Defiance. And I kept thinking about it. I went to the meeting, and I spoke to somebody else, and I said, you know, they taught us Defiance. I remember 85% of the people learned Defiance. And when you run into one that, that has a fair-minded attitude to things, they're, um, they learn choices. So uh, my Defiance, but the particular twist about that. Here's the kicker, folks. Since I got sober, my defiance turned against myself. So I am defying on myself. I'll give you an example. I want to have a nice toolbox where I can find everything. And what does my defiance does? It puts, it hides the tools all over. You know, there's a defiant person inside of me I'm still dealing with. 
I have identified the enemy. He's living inside of me. So what am I going to do to get that guy out? Probably write about it, you know, like something that's really bugging me. It has to be uh, uprooted. And thank God for the defiance and uh, that I am defining myself. I hide things from myself. Me and my wife, we, we hide our iPads when we leave the house and then she, we can't find them. And the grandkids, why they want to know why are we hiding the things from ourselves. So it's a, it's a lot of laughter, but it's a lot of truth in it. Some of us might, might be uh, infected, and that's the word from God, probably to me today, defiance, and I can hear God speaking to me through that. So, we got work to do, folks. Thank you very much, and now I've got a treat for you today. I'm going to be reading a little section of our one of our grapevines, and um, how about AA in Canada, June 1993. And I opened it to an article called, I think I read this before. Yep, I got a check on it. I read that. I'm not going to say the same thing over and over again, which sometimes is good. A person had written in and said that when he ended up back in prison, the only thing he can remember of the meetings was the guy that said the same thing over and over again, and that kept him sober. Wow. You never know. That's why judgment is is there for the one who can see the furthest, right? We don't know. Okay. Thank you so much. Grapevine reading. This one's called, this comes from Saskia M. From British Columbia. Revel Revel Stoke, British Columbia. How would you like to be from Revel Stoke, British Columbia? At the end of the world. After spending eight weeks in an all-woman treatment center, feeling safe and secure, validated and loved, it was time for me to meet the cruel world all alone. All I had was a voice to sing with the tools they had given me to learn how to live a life without alcohol. I was very scared but determined and full of hope. My first destination was back to Kelowanda, where I sobered up to sort out where to start. I've been sober six months previous to going to the treatment center, so I certainly wasn't a stranger to AA meetings. I already had a sponsor and a home group who welcomed me back with such warmth that at first the transition was easy. But all too soon, I had to get on with the business of living. I'm a professional musician, and I, I had bookings lined up on the road. Now I'll never be on stage sober, and the mere thought of it was terrifying. I began to doubt that I had any talent at all. There I was, trying to sing and pick a guitar, pretending I knew what I was doing without aid of a drink to give me any confidence. On my first gig, I ventured into town to seek out the local AA group. I found a warm acceptance and plenty of encouragement to keep me going. I was really beginning to like this program. Everywhere I went, there were friends who understood my fears, loneliness, insecurities, and my compulsion to drink. Pretty confident now, I hit places all over British Columbia, northern Alberta, Arizona, and California. However, I wasn't hitting too many meetings. Finally, I landed a gig in Univik Northwest Territories in the Arctic Circle. 
It was midwinter, minus 40 degrees Celsius, and totally isolated from the rest of the world. I was booked there for three weeks, and it looked like it was going to be an endless period. In a very short time, however, I adopted to the northern life. I was pretty sure of myself, not with all my sobriety, pretty much cured, I thought. I felt I could handle almost anything. I soon noticed that everyone in Univic drank a lot. Missing work due to a bender was acceptable as normal. No one lost a job because of it because there would have been no workers left. I began to think that I had somehow overestimated my own alcoholism. In fact, my benders were minuscule compared to what I saw there. What could a few beers do to me? I went to the bar and ordered a beer. I had it in my hand, just about to throw all caution to the wind. When my name was Paige over the intercom, I looked at my beer regretfully, handed it to the person nearest to me, and headed for the lobby. Say for the moment, I found out with absolute amazement that the person paging me was another AA member. He was playing in the band across the street and had heard from my sister who was an AA in Vancouver, that I was going to be in Univic at the same time he was. We got together, and I knew there was a higher power looking after me who had different plans for me than I had. (coughs) Excuse me. Who had put together AA members in my life at a very crucial moment. I realized how closely I come to drinking and throwing it all away. The man was very cheerful and figured we should go about finding some meanings in Univic. This was easier said than done, but we were determined and I was desperate. We finally found a contact number and after stubborn perseverance, we ended up at a homemade meeting at someone's house. The AAs all admitted it it was very difficult staying sober in Univic. Isolated with little or no sobriety as an example, and with no new input. Nevertheless, they were warm and honest people who went out of their way to give us support and encouragement. Eventually, we ended up at some structure meeting, and members with some sobriety came out of the woodwork. The meetings were long, and we all shared our experience, strength, and most of all, our hopes to stay sober. We were a very small bunch a people at the end of the world clinging to one common goal, to stay sober. My story has a happy ending. I survived the weeks in Univic and never again forgot the importance of meetings. It's been seven years and my thoughts often wandered back to that wine-swept barren Arctic land with those warm people who saved my sobriety. When I am on the road now and feeling isolated playing a gig in the middle of nowhere, I often think back to Univic. I thank my higher power for those wonderful AA members who were there at the right time, and I send a prayer their way. Saskia M. Revelstoke, British Columbia. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. I had the opportunity of being in Hawaii in a banquet with a lot of distinguished folks that seemed to have a lot of money to spend $80 a plate. And the speaker was my buddy from the 502, they call it the capital, sobriety capital of the world, which is really every meeting all around the world. Anyway, my buddy, my, say my buddy, what? 
I knew him and he knew me by face and name and I acknowledge him and he was the main speaker at the Hawaii 58 year convention or something like that and uh, as we sat in the a couple sat around the very nice white cloth and very elegant banquet with their entertainment we all ate our food and the couple next to us was were from uh un alaska un alaska i still have their number they became best of friends they're straight north from hawaii all the way up past the atlantic ocean and the first uh series of islands that are there the couple lived there amazing so i was given a set of prayer for them and I guess the point I'm making, I met a couple of guys from uh, Tokyo. I met some people from uh, Australia, and somebody in our table was from New York. So the world is getting smaller. I got contacts now in, uh, in, in uh, London or Ireland in that area there and making friends. So the world is just one big meeting place for me now. I'm praying for that, that I, I hit many, many places around the world and that I be of service, may be able to carry God's message like, you're still defiant. <laughs> anyway, God bless you. Let's go ahead and pray the serenity prayer and get on with our day. Thank you very much for listening in. And Merry Christmas, by the way. Remember, no big deals. God... Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It's working, family. Merry Christmas. Have a great day today.